Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. Um, if you're new with Thrive and you want to know more about Thrive Church, the first Sunday of every month we do the Connect Gathering. And our campus pastors are able to host this gathering in our cafe at each location. If you're watching online, then it's the first Sunday of every month. And we want to tell you more about Thrive. And the key is, how do you get involved at Thrive? How do you get connected to the community at Thrive? Because Thrive is more than just a church. It's a community. And it's, a, it's more than just a congregation. It's a, it's a family. And so how do you get connected to that? Come to Connect, and you'll be able to, to find out. Amen. Somebody got excited because it is more than just church. It is community. And what I want for you is not just to have to sit, you know, in a row, but to find your circle, to find the people who can encourage you, um, to find people who can help you in your faith. And again, the Connect Gathering is your own ramp to find out more about that today in our cafe, immediately following service. We have child care available and we have some snacks for you, so you have no excuse. We will keep your stomach from growling until you can get to lunch, right? Amen. Well, we're starting a new series next four weeks called The Generous Life. And what we do every year is we focus on different areas of discipleship. But one of the areas that's changed my life is generosity. One of the areas that's changed this church is, we, is generosity. We really pride ourselves on being a generous church to the community and to other churches. And so what I want to do over the next several weeks is help you understand how God views generosity. Because culture will teach you one thing. You may have views about generosity in your own mind, but I want to show you what Scripture says about generosity. And I believe it's been the one thing that's changed my life, that's given me purpose, that's helped me, and I pray it's going to help you too. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Um, many of us could say this that you've had something in your life, whether good or bad, that has changed you. It did something to you. Like when you go through an experience, it did something to you. It wasn't just the experience that happened to you, but through that process, you became someone, whether good or bad. Um, I talk about fitness all the time. People talk about, you know, man, you lost so much weight. You did this, you did that. And it wasn't, it wasn't the external things that changed so much for me. It was more internal. Through all of that, I learned discipline. I learned consistency. I learned doing it when I didn't feel like it. I learned to be smarter with things, and it did something to me internally. Oftentimes we're told it's not what you do in life, it's who you become by what you do. And so you can say that there's been experiences that have done something to you. And I want to talk to you today about generosity and greed, because both of them do something to us in life. As a matter of fact, Jesus was speaking to uh, his followers in the first century about this. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 these are probably the most important words um, of Jesus to his followers. Why? Because they believe, most scholars did, that he said this sermon. This is like his go-to sermon. Because Jesus traveled all the time and spoke. So most of the crowds that he spoke to were new people. He would travel from here and to there. And over three years, he would have his, what we call, go-to sermon as preachers. And this was it. Now, why was it so important? The Sermon on the Mount was not writ written directly to us. I say this all the time about the Bible. The Bible wasn't written to you, it was written for you. It was, he was speaking to Jewish people in the first century. He wasn't speaking to Americans in, you know, in the 21st century. Now, I'll get to that in a second. But to his people, the Jews, they had lost focus of what it meant to be faithful to Jehovah. They had lost what it meant to be um, heartfelt in their worship for him. They were restored. They were living again in Jerusalem. The temple was there. Everything seemed great, but their heart wasn't in it. They had drifted so far, and the religious leaders were the ones who were just going through the motions. They're the ones who had wrong motives. And so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it can be summed up like this. The Sermon on the Mount is this. He's saying, I know you've been told 
by your religious leaders. I know you've been told by culture. I know it's even been said in the Torah, Jewish Old Testament there. He says, but I've come to tell you. He said, I want to show you a better way to be able to connect to your heavenly Father. I want to show you how far that you've drifted, and this is what it's supposed to be about. So in Matthew chapter 6, he attacks three areas that are critically important for every good little Jewish boy and girl. And those three areas were fasting, praying, and giving. Three acts of piety that every little good Jewish boy and girl always interacted with. And so when you look at that chapter, he says, when you fast, don't do this. Don't, you know, don't put water on your face and make yourself look, oh, it's just so tough. I'm fasting. You know, it's like, don't do that. He says, whenever you pray. Because the Jewish religious leaders would go in the street corners, and they would go, oh, God. And want everybody to hear them. And then he said, when you give. Because giving was important to that culture and to the Jewish faith. He says, when you give, don't do this and don't do that. Because what the Jewish religious leaders would do, they would go cash out their money, get a bunch of coins. So if they had four quarters, they wanted 100 pennies. Why? Because they would walk up to these big, big, like golden-like type, say, jugs, and they would take their money and zing it all in there so everybody could see how awesome they were giving. It was all about impressing man. It was all about a show, and they're going through motions. And so Jesus speaks to them directly about generosity. And don't get mad at me because I'm speaking. You know, Jesus spoke about generosity. Only did he speak about heaven more, right? Money was very important because money is a revealer. He said, I want you to understand that money can do something to you or something for you. And here's what he says in Matthew 6 about generosity. He starts and says in verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your, uh, your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. He says this. It starts getting a little strange. Like, how does this tie to generosity? I'm, I'm going to answer this in a little bit. But he says then, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And the light you think you have, don't miss that, the light you think you have, is actually darkness. How deep is that darkness? He says, you're deceiving yourself. It's powerful. Verse 24, he goes, and no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despised the other. And look what Jesus says to them. You cannot serve both God and money. Of all the things he could say, he could say you can't serve both God and Satan. He mentions being divided in your, in your life and serving two masters. It was a, you know, there was no gray area here. It was black or white. And he brings up this word money. He says in verse 25, that is why I tell you to not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? In, in the Greco-Roman Empire, you have to understand that they had a lot of similarities to us in the first century. They believed that the more stuff you had, the more favored by the gods you were. And so if you had that banging chariot with those rims on it, right, and that camel with the golden hooves, you're like, man, they got it going on. Like the gods have favored them. And then if somebody was poor or sick, they believed the gods had not favored you. And maybe you had done something wrong. That's why Jesus had to deal with that in the Jewish culture as well, because they had that same mindset. 
And he came to flip the script and show them a better way. And what he wanted to show them was what true heartfelt generosity really looked like in the kingdom. And what I want to talk to you today, I want to draw like just a, a, the difference between greed and generosity. Because Jesus says there's only, there's only two ways. You're either greedy or you're generous. And I want to talk to you about that because I believe one of the marks of Christ's followers is, is that we're generous with, generous with everything. Our time, our money, our words. Like we're, we should just be lavish generosity out the planet. Why? Because our good God has been generous to us through Christ, right? And so many times that's not it. So I want you to write this down because this is the working definition of greed. We've got to start with greed first. And I know you didn't come to church to hear about greed, but you're going to hear about it. And here's what greed really is. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what it is. Greed is the assumption that everything has been given for our consumption. That when we're not, greed is the assumption that everything has been given for our consumption. Meaning that we believe that it's my money. The church wants my money. And so if you even start with that, I've got a question, are you a follower of Jesus? Number one, I don't want your money. Like when we talk about tithe challenge, give to another church on your tithe challenge. I'm fine. We're doing just fine without your money and your attitude, right, if you're upset. <laughs> We're good. Like, seriously, give somewhere else. If you're like, I'm skeptical, that's fine. Because number one, it's not your money. You were bought with a price of the precious blood of Jesus as a ransom. And it goes on, your life is not your own. See, somebody who doesn't understand this, somebody who, who, who has churchianity, not Christianity, believes they still own their stuff. It's still theirs, and they believe everything they have, they work for, and it's for them to enjoy and have a, a, just have fun time with it. It's all about them. Does God want you to enjoy life? Yes, he does. I'm not saying he wants you to give all your money away. I'm not saying that. But greed is the assumption that everything has been given for our consumption. See, here's the thing. Generosity does something for us while greed does something to us. See, greed does something to you in your life. The, the gr more greedy you are with things, you ever seen somebody who gets more and more and consumes more and more and they get just, it, it does something to them. They begin to change. And that's what greed does to us because we believe if, if, if you have that mindset as a Christ follower, this all about you, all about what you want and your preference and all, all your stuff is for you, then you've missed out. Because Christ followers do believe that we are stewards. God has given it to us. We're just managing this stuff. That's all we're doing. And like, you know, so generosity to a Christ follower is like, yeah, that's just like par for the course. But many of us are operating in greed and don't understand what greed really does to us. You know what greed does to you? The first thing it does, it causes you to invest in the wrong things. That's what Jesus outlined. When you operate in greed, you're investing in the wrong kingdom. Look, look what he says here. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where, where are you investing, right? Where moths eat in them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. That word store up there means a place where you would put your most valuable possessions. And many of us, if we looked at what we're storing up, it's all the stuff that the world can give us, right? We're investing in the wrong things in life. And you have to sit down and think about, am I really generous? Am I really investing in the right things? Because greed will cause you to continue to want more and more of the wrong things. 
The second thing that greed does to you is this. Greed, the, the second thing is this. It causes you to worry. That's what greed does. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, that is why I tell you. He was speaking about money and about serving you know, either God or serving money. He says, and that is why I tell you to not worry about everyday life. Whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? You know what greed does? You never have enough. The more you get, the more you want. And then the more you begin to rely upon money to solve all of your problems in life. And it's not, I mean, think about it. It's never enough. You get the raise from the promotion, you're excited, and boom, the next year you're right back in the same predicament needing more and more. And it's this never-ending cycle. And so greed causes you to worry, especially about the things that don't matter as much. The third thing that greed does to you is this. It starves out the mission of God. Let me explain that. Because Jesus said there's two missions, there's two kingdoms. And look what he says here. He says in Matthew 6, 24, For no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despised to other. You cannot serve both God and money. There are two kingdoms at work in this world. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of, of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. And we have to understand this, is that to spread the gospel, to be able to do what God's called us to do, the kingdom has to be funded. Like one of the things we do is we support church plants, brand new churches that are gospel-centered, that are going into communities and reaching people. And we resource churches and church plants all across the world, right? That's our heart. Because we want to fuel the mission of God. But can I tell you, I've had to defer on a lot of things at this church to be able to fuel the mission of God. I've got friends, and they're great pastors and great leaders, and they choose to spend millions upon millions upon millions on just the facility alone. Uh, we have the same carpet we've had since I got here 11 years ago. You can't, we, that's why we keep it dark in here until you can't see it. <laughs> we clean it. We clean it. There's so much that we do not do here for bells and for whistles. And yes, I can point you to a 10 churches that have much better production like, not team. Our team's the best, right? But like, but like, yeah, amen. But much better lights and sound, much better chairs and carpet. I can point you there. They've got way better stuff. But I know how much that stuff costs. And at the end of the day, I've got a choice as a pastor. We're either going to fuel the mission of God or just fuel what makes us feel good. And you have a choice, too, when God gives you your resources and gives you what he's given you, whatever that paycheck is. You have a chance to say, I'm going to fuel the mission of God or, or I'm going to starve out the mission of God. Because here's the thing. It takes money to do the mission of God. That's what Jesus spoke about it. When you read the New Testament, Paul spoke a lot about his ministry and his travel and how he needed that to do those things. And so you've got to make a decision too because greed will ca cause you to starve out the mission of God. To say, to say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his message enough to invest into it. I love Jesus, but I, I'm not really sure I want to, like, give money to it because that's like, little, little, you know, until we make all these things up about it, about, you know, again, the church wants my money. No, Capital One wants your money. Target wants your money. That restaurant wants your money. And they do nothing for eternal value. So if greed does something to you, I'm going to answer the question, what does generosity do for you? Because my heart is this. I don't know where you're at because 
You may think, well, I'm a generous person. I don't need this series. If you think that, then you're not generous. Because you should always be thinking, what is the Holy Spirit saying? That's, that's what I'm thinking every year. What's the Holy Spirit saying to me about my next step for generosity? Because, again, I know what generosity has done for me in my life. And I want to help you understand what generosity can do for you as a follower of Jesus. The first thing that generosity can do for you is this. It creates a new perspective for you. A new perspective. Remember Jesus in verse 20, uh, uh, verse 21 and 22, he says, wherever your treasure is, their desires of your heart will be also. No, that's good. And then he talks about the eye. Look, he says, your eye is a lamp. Like, how does this all tie in? What's he, Jesus, what are you talking about, Willis? So your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you actually have um, is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Your eyes are how you view everything around you, how you perceive it. So if you have an eye issue, things could get blurry and you can't see well, right? I have astigmatism, so I can't see things very well far off. It's affected by that, so glasses help me. If I all gave you guys red lens glasses in here, you would all say, man, you look red. Am I actually red? No, I'm very, very white. I'm like pale. Like this is, this is, this is terrible. Like I match the color of this thing here, right? I cannot wait for beach season to come. I need a tan, y'all. So anyway, you would see that. Why? Because that's, that's affecting your view. Jesus said this. He said, how you view money and God and the world will determine how you use it. So if your perspective is, it's mine, who, how dare this preacher talk to me, then Jesus says, you actually, you, you don't understand generosity. Your perspective is all wrong. You know what generosity does to you? It changes you. So now you view the world differently. You view how you want to interact with what God is doing. You don't view your possessions as your own. You defer on personal things. I'll stick with the old iPhone because the new one's just too, way too expensive. I know the camera's good, right? You change the way you spend your money. It changes everything for you. That's what generosity does for you. The second thing it does this, it creates more room for blessing. More room for blessing for you. Now, I know you're not after that, and you don't give to get. But when you look in the New Testament, there is something correlated how God, I don't think, I don't think you give, then God gives you more money all the time. That's not how it works. It's not like, you know, you put money, like invest into a 401k. But God does bless you, and he creates room. Because when God sees that you can be a steward over the little things he's given you, and if you're willing to give out of that, he'll say, I can trust that person. I'm going to give them more. I'm going to bless them more because there's an end game to it. And look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8. Paul says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get what? A generous crop. So you must each decide in your heart how much to give. He didn't say you must pray about whether you give or not, did he? This is the New Testament, God. Don't look at me like that. This is Paul. Some of y'all give me evil eyes up in here. He's like, why did my wife bring me to church today? I want to hear this man. And don't give reluctantly or respond to pressure. Paul's like, if you don't want to, just keep it. Don't give reluctantly or response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And I love verse 8 because we stop there, and you cannot stop there. It's conditional. He says, and, and, he ties it, and God will generously provide all you need when you're a cheerful giver. 
then you will always have everything you need. I love this. And plenty left over to share with others. So when you give, God creates more space for you to give more and to bless others more. If God sees that you're a good you know, vessel, a good funnel to get resources through, he'll keep blessing you. He says, I can trust that person with what I've given them. So it does create more room for blessing for you. When you give something, realize that God will return that to you. And sometimes it is 30, 60, and 100 fold. And here's the main point of what generosity does for you. It creates and it writes a different story for you. Look at verse 8. He said, he said, you'll have plenty left over to do what? Share with others. Meaning God will bless you to the point, and it doesn't mean you'll be a millionaire, but bless you to the point you can actually begin to help other people. Meaning they're going to have a story about you. Remember I, I challenged you? Maybe you were here last year, and, and the question was this, and I keep hammering this home. What will be your story when there's nothing left but a story? Because one day, People can gather around a table with potato salad and baked beans and fried chicken, and they're going to talk about you after your funeral. What are they going to say about you? One day, the story will be over. It will be written. It will be finished. And you've got to decide what story do you want your life to tell. And do you know how you can impact that? It's not who you are. It's not what you do. It's how you affect other people. That is the story. And generosity is key for that. That's why I told you at Thrive, we resource other churches. We help other churches. We pour into other churches. I mean, during the pandemic, we paid for a pastor's salary because he couldn't even make salary and, and feed his kids. Like, we're like, you know, we want the story of Thrive to be this, that they are generous. They helped us in time of need. I want this, listen, I want, amen, I want this, the churches of Richmond, the churches of Richmond to say, if it wasn't for Thrive, I don't know where I'd be at. That's what I want the story. And for you, you've got to decide what story do you want to have told about you? Because when you engage in generosity, guess what happens? It writes a different story for you. Well, there'll be people when you send money to missionaries who you'll get to heaven and they'll come and they'll shake your hand. And you'll say, I, I didn't know you. Oh, no, no, you didn't. But you gave to that mission trip. Or you gave to this endeavor. And I gave my life to Christ through that. That's what generosity does for us. But here's my fear. This was Jesus' fear too. Because he said, if you think that your light is light, but it's actually darkness, how deep is the darkness? It's called being deceived. And here's my fear, guys. Many of us will leave here lying to ourselves that we are generous when we're actually greedy. And that's my fear. That we'll say, oh, no, no, I'm a very generous person. And God's like, and God's like, really? And God views you as greedy. I mean, I, I'll never forget when I went to um, one of my first interviews ever with my boss. And I go there, and I was a very young guy, I'm still young, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I was really young at that time. And I go in, what y'all laughing for? So, and I am young. And, I, and I'm sitting with him, and I expected this, I expected him just to tell me how awesome I was. It was like little Ralphie at the Christmas story. I expected him to go in and say, you're the greatest. Oh, my God. And I went in, and he gave me, like, one thing I did well, and then he just reamed me. I'm like, and I thought I was doing great. I had no idea. I was like, 
the boss viewed my performance differently than I viewed my performance. And I had no idea. And could it be the same way with generosity that many of us think, oh, yeah, you wait, I stand in front of God one day. I gave that dollar to the Salvation Army. Yeah. Heard that bell ring and went right to it. Oh, I'm generous. And then God shows you a picture of your life. He shows you all the resources he gave you, all the money he gave you, all the resources, all the talent, the wisdom, everything. And he shows you what was squandered, what could have been done. You know, it says that that Christians will have a judgment seat, and then it says that Jesus will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. Now, it doesn't say this here, and and we're not sure exactly if it's pain, if it's tears, if it's regrets, if it's tears of joy. We don't don't know what the tears are, but he's going to wipe them away, meaning that he wants to get rid of those tears. What if, when we stand in front of Jesus, he gives us a replay of our life of what could have been and what should have been? What if he does show us all those? What if he shows me that? And I thought my whole life, man, I was just killing it. And God's like, no, you used it all on yourself. There's so much that could have been done for my kingdom only if. And that's my fear for us that we don't walk away from here thinking that we're actually generous and we're not. So here's three truths about generosity we have to embrace. If you're going to be generous, if you're going to flip the script of your life, if you're going to start this journey, I started it 20 years ago, guys, 20 years ago, 20. I have literally tithed my whole life and give offerings, and give an above and beyond. And every year I love to try to increase, and increase, and increase what I give. Because generosity has changed my life. Again, I don't want your money. If you're like, man, this guy wants my money. Again, please, please don't hear that in this church. It's what God wants for you, not what he wants from you. And he has so much for you. I should not be here today. I shouldn't be what I'm doing, doing what I'm doing. I shouldn't be on this stage. I shouldn't have any of it. I shouldn't have a life that I have. But I firmly believe this. If you take care of God's kingdom, he'll take care of your castle. If you take care of God's house, he'll take care of yours. And it says that in Scripture over and over in the New Testament. Again, we just saw that again, that, that when you're a cheerful giver, he will then give you so much that, that you can just start sharing other people. He sees that you're a vessel. So what are you? There's three truths we have to embrace about generosity. Uh, the first one is this. Follow the yellow brick road. Now, what do I mean by that? You can't be the judge on whether or not you're, you're generous. You can't say, well, I think I'm generous. I feel like I'm generous. Do you know how um, each year I know whether I'm generous or not? There's little things they send you in the mail. You know, tax season's upon us. And it shows you how much you've given. And that's what tells me if I'm generous or not. I look at those. And that thing comes back in. I, I want to look at it and compare it to my salary, what I bring in, and I want to make sure that I'm actually generous. I can't, that's the yellow brick road. You can't just say you think or feel. What does your tax return say? Because your checking account will show you what you really value. And for me, it's saddening on the stuff I spend money on, guys. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to get there. And I track all of my expenses. All day. Every, every time I spend money on something, I track it to the T. Y'all, I just started shopping at Aldi for everything. You know I'm really trying to get serious about it, right? Like, I went from Kroger to Aldi. So, I'm like, you know, I went from, you go from Whole Foods, you go to Wegmans, and, like, there's, like, a, a, a ladder that goes away. Now I'm at Aldi. <laughs> right? Got the Aldi, yeah, yeah, the Aldi fan over there. So, every year I follow the yellow brick road. Every year I want to know. That's why Keith gave you statistics about generosity at Thrive. 
We can, I, I can't say, well, I think we are. I feel like we are. What does the Olympic Road say? The second truth about generosity you and I have to embrace is this. Either you give or you return. Either you get, let me say this. Either you give or you return. Givers don't believe they've been bought with a price. Returners do. Let me explain that. Remember I told you that greed is the assumption that everything is for your consumption? So givers will just kind of every now and then just, just to appease their conscience. Whatever, Salvation Army, whatever you give to, right? But a returner believes this. Talk about tithing and things like that. The first thing, I never see 10% of my income ever. All the top is gone. I'm not giving to the kingdom. I'm returning to God what's his. Because he gave me everything. So for me, like, it just makes sense. He bought me with a price. I owe my life to him. Why would I just take that and never see it? Makes total sense. So either you give or you return back to God what's already his. And that's what a Christ follower believes because they have nothing except anything that's been given by God. It's all been given from him. So either you're a giver or a returner. I choose to be a returner because he's given it all to me. I, I, I own nothing and have nothing. Amen? The third and final truth is this. Greed is fueled by consumption while generosity is fueled by compassion. So greed is all about what I can consume. Generosity is all about my compassion for others and for the kingdom. And so for me, I have a heart. I've planted churches from scratch before. I've been in the position other churches have been before. So me, I have a heart of compassion to be able to help them and minister to them. I spend a lot of my time and energy, and our church will, will send me to go train people at conferences and do things and pour into pastors. Why? Because of compassion for others, compassion for those who don't know the gospel, compassion for people that are far from God. And when you're generous, that's what you're fueled by. My mom, God rest her soul, man. When she died, I've told this story before, when she died, my dad and I were sitting there, and he had like on his little bar uh, thing he sat at, there, he had spread out all the stuff that was coming in that she gave to, he had no idea. That woman was literally giving away everything that he had. <laughs> he didn't even know it, right? She handled the money. I mean, it was from everything you could imagine. Mom would, would give, 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 give to everything. Because she had such a heart of compassion. And my dad could not, he was, wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he did tithe. He firmly believed in that because his mama raised him that way, right? That's crazy. You got believers who argue about it. My dad didn't even believe and would do it. That's another story for another day. But he could not bring himself to not give anymore to any of those things. Generosity is fueled by compassion. Her compassion for others generated compassion in him. So closing, here's the question you and I have to ask. You have to ask this question to flip the script from greedy to generous. Do I just have good intentions or generous actions? Because many of us intend to be generous, don't we? We want to be. But there's no yellow brick road to follow it. There's no way that we really can tell whether we're generous or not. And what I want for you, I want you to experience what it means to be able to bless someone else, to be a part of the, when, when Keith gives those numbers, and he's about people being saved and water baptized, we're giving away all this money to other churches, and you're like clapping. I want you to clap because you're a part of that. Because you get a chance to share in what God's doing. But many of us really want to be, but our actions have never proven that. I'm not here to beat you up with it. I'm here to give you an opportunity. I'm here to give you an on-ramp 
for you to say, today I'm writing a different story. Today I start to write a different story. Because the question, amen, the question you've got, you've got to ask yourself is this again. At the end of the day, when there's nothing left but a story, what's going to be my story? One day, when I walk off the stage for the final time, and Thrive's no longer part of my story, what's going to be the story of Thrive? What, is, what are the churches of Richmond going to say? What are missionaries going to say about us? And for you, that's the same question you've got to ask. And generosity will change your story of what others say about you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've been generous to us through Jesus that you gave your very best for us, God. You gave your son for us. Lord, now help us to live generously because you've been generous to us. Father, there are people in here today who need courage. They're scared. They're not sure what they would do if they begin to be generous for the kingdom. It's a fearful thought, Lord. I pray you would help them, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, that they would know that God, and they would experience your provision, that you can do more after we give than we can with all of it, because you're a good Father. And Father, I pray more than anything that as people begin to take the step of generosity, some take a next step of generosity, others for the first time will take it, I pray, Father, that they would experience the blessing of being able to bless others, which is the greatest experience ever, to help others, to see your gospel message go to the ends of the earth so people can experience you, Jesus. And God, I pray for this church too, that you would continually help us be a generous church for your kingdom, to continually keep on the forefront the message of Jesus, spreading that to the ends of the earth, Lord. And we thank you for everything you have given this church and thank you for the opportunity to be able to give and share in all the other ministries around the world, Lord. And as we're praying today, church, maybe your next step is you've never given your life to Christ. And none of this makes sense to you. I mean, why would a guy speak about this? Because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never experienced salvation, being rescued from the kingdom of darkness by his dear son. You've never experienced being bought by the precious blood of the lamb. You're not your own. And today you say, I want that. I want to surrender to Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to walk with him. I want to give my life to him. I want everything that I do to reflect his glory, his kingdom. If that's you today, and you want to give your life to Christ, surrender to him, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God, Today, I give my life to Christ. I need Jesus. I give my whole life to Jesus. I repent of my old life. I turn from that old life. I leave it behind. And today, I receive forgiveness. I receive new life. For I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today, I believe he is Lord, and I make him my Lord. 
God, thank you for being so generous to me. And it's your good name we pray. Amen.